Welcome, Fellowship Asheville. A couple of more announcements for you about Easter. Um, this, uh, today is the day that we remember and celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem and being held as king. And, and what we're doing to prepare our hearts for Easter, we'd, we've been doing 40 days of prayer, if you've been following along with that. Uh, but that shifts today, that ends today. And, and then what we're doing to walk us through the week with Jesus Starting today on YouTube and on Facebook, and then we'll do an audio version of it on our podcast. What we've done is we've compiled the four Gospels to to show what Jesus did each day. And so what I'm doing is I'm just reading through those scriptures uh, so that we can literally walk with Jesus every day this week. And so we'll release a new one uh, starting today all the way through Friday uh, so you can experience uh, what Jesus did. Now, you'll notice some days uh, it's only like four minutes long. Some days Jesus didn't do a whole lot. Right? Some days it's 20 minutes long uh, because on those days Jesus did a lot more. And so, so what I hope and, and pray for you is that you let those scriptures wash over you and that you get to see the heart of God in Jesus uh, leading up to his crucifixion. Um, uh, that's what I hope. And then we'll gather together on Friday for Good Friday. And you can do it one of two ways as we celebrate. Uh, uh, celebrate is probably the wrong word. As we remember the resurrection. I mean, we remember the crucifixion. Um, we can, you can join us in person uh, Friday, April 2nd from 6 to 6.30. And what I'm going to do in person is read those scriptures that I'm reading uh, virtually. Or you can watch it at some point during the day. And I take communion virtually, so you can join me for communion then. Or you can come here and join us as I read those scriptures. We'll sing a couple songs and take communion together here. And so that's Friday, 6 o'clock from 6, uh, Friday, April 2nd from 6 to 6.30. You do need to register for that so we know who's coming. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, we're doing two services, one at 9 o'clock and one at 11 o'clock. Both of those are in person, and you need to register for those. And then the virtual service will be at 11 o'clock as normal. And so that will be Easter. What I love about Easter is that people do come with a level of um, excitement, right? There's just a buzz in the air for Easter, which is very unique from any other Sunday all year long. And so if you're comfortable joining us in person, I would love for you to do that. And if, and if not, or you just simply can't, then, then join us virtually uh, when you can. I don't know if I said this, but my name is Fred, and I am the lead pastor here, and, and I really do want to welcome you with us today. Here's what I hope happens. I hope that today that you are inspired to walk in more faith and trust today than you had yesterday. More faith and trust in Jesus today than yesterday. And here's what else I hope happens. I hope that you're inspired to walk in more faith and trust with Jesus tomorrow than even today. And if that is what you desire, then guess what? You have found your people, right? Because that is what we want here at Fellowship. And so, like Andrew said, no matter who you are or where you are, we are a church for you if that is what you desire. Let's get started on our sermon today. Today's the last day in Ephesians, and I want to start off telling you about a book uh, by a guy named uh, David Chandler. And the book is titled The Art of Warfare on Land. Doesn't that sound like a page turner? <clears throat> um, full disclosure, I didn't read the book, but I read an incredible summary of the book. Um, and Because here's what he did, and here's what I was interested in. Uh, he, he, he has looked through history. Uh, he specializes in warfare. And he has identified seven classic maneuvers 
in war. Like if, if a country is going against another country, an army against another army, he said there's really only seven tactics that they employ. Now here's what's interesting. When I tell you what these tactics are, if you think about Lord of the Rings, you'll see some of them there. Right? If you, if, you, if you think about some of the biblical accounts of warfare, like particularly Joshua coming into the promised land, you'll see some of these, 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 these uh, advancements there. Um, if you play Fortnite, right, you've experienced some of these. Right? Um, uh, so, so here they are. Uh, there's the, the first one is uh, you can attack right up the middle. Right? Like that's a classic maneuver in warfare is to go right up the middle. The other, another classic maneuver is called a flank maneuver where instead of going up the middle, you go up one side. And then there's a version of that that's kind of offside where you go off one side and then you do this secondary attack right up the middle and push the army back. There's another one, and I've seen this one in movies, called the fake maneuver where you fake a withdrawal only to have a surprise army there. So when they chase you, guess what? Boom. They're, they're, they're overthrown. There's also a defensive position. Now, this is one that I've seen employed in Fortnite a lot, right? Like you get up in the tower and you watch everyone, right? That's a, that's a classic maneuver. And, and then there's the, just, of course, the complete surprise attack where they never see you coming, right? Now, here's why I share all these. In all of these warfare maneuvers, there's one common thing that if it's not known and it's not employed, no matter what tactic you use, it's going to fail. And here's what it is. This question must be answered before any attack can happen. And it's this. Who is our enemy? That's the question that must be answered. Now, in warfare, this might seem pretty obvious, right? But in life, that's a much more difficult question to ask, isn't it? Because none of these tactics... Uh, of army or, or, or armies advancing or countries advancing, none of them work if we don't know who our enemy is. Now, let me ask you, let's bring this a little bit more personal. Have you ever been confused about who was attacking you? Have you ever been confused about who your enemy is? Have you ever seen someone labeled an enemy and been like, I, I don't know if they're really an enemy, right? Like, like I can see how we, we disagree with them, yeah, but I'm not sure that they're really an enemy. That's, that's strong. Or kids, students, have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen someone treated badly or, or, or spoken about badly by your friends and thought, they're not that bad? I mean, as a matter of fact, I kind of like them. I kind of like being around them, but yet everybody else around you is labeling them an enemy. You see, church, I think it's real easy for us to be confused about who our enemy is, right? I think we can often mislabel our enemy, and when we do, here's what happens. When we mislabel our enemy, it causes division and it causes destruction. But today... In this final message in Ephesians, Paul wants us to be clear about who our enemy actually is. And not only who our enemy is, how do we engage in fighting our enemy? Right? And so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 10 uh, through 24. Like I said, we're finishing up Ephesians today. 
In this series called Together, we'll spend uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll do uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Andrew's going to be preaching on the 11th, uh, which will be fun. And then uh, after that, we're going to start a series on Ezra and Nehemiah about rebuilding, which seems very appropriate uh, as we enter into what I hope is a post-pandemic world. Um, uh, so, so here's why this question, though, is important about who our enemy is as you're turning there. Without knowing uh, and understanding what Paul is going to teach us here, I really think we will be a divided church. And I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, oversell this. Like, I think if the church is confused about who our enemy is, w- w- here's what happens. We start attacking each other, right? And that causes division, and that causes destruction. And, and let me tell you, that breaks my pastor's heart. Right? When I see brothers and sisters in Christ fighting each other. Because then I know that our real enemy has actually won. You see, when we aren't clear on who our enemy is, we do end up attacking each other. And that's what I want to put a stop to today. That's what Paul wants to put a stop to you. And put a stop to. And y'all, let me be vulnerable with you. I know what it feels like to be attacked as an enemy because I have been. I know what it feels like to be labeled an enemy because I have been. But let me tell you what's worse is I also know what it's like to label others as an enemy. And let me tell you, that is far worse. And it has taken lots of counseling, lots of working with mentors, and the very, very patient love of Jesus to help me see that that is completely wrong. Because Jesus has shown me that the people around us, the people around you, they are not our enemies. But we do have an enemy. And seeing others clearly the way God sees them has done this. It has given me this grace and freedom that I hope and pray uh, y'all can experience today. I hope and pray you can experience that today. Because I long for all of us to experience more of this grace and freedom in seeing our enemy for who he actually is and not seeing the people around us as our enemies. So let's look at verse 10 and see what Paul has for us. Verse 10 says this in chapter 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, Paul is giving a command to the church here, right? He's, he's winding this letter down. He wrote this letter. He was in prison at the time, which will be important here in just a minute, but, but he was in prison and, and he wrote a letter to strengthen and encourage the church and churches there in Ephesus. And so this is a command. And it's a command to the church. Now, for us, being a a mostly white Western American Christians, here's what we do with this command, which is very easy. What we do is we take that command individually. And we say, okay, Paul, you are telling me to be strong in the Lord. And that is a fine application, but that's not what Paul is doing to this church in Ephesus. Because the the words that he uses are plural. He's saying, finally, y'all. And some of your translations say, finally, brethren, which is a word for brothers and sisters, and it's this plural. And so this command is going to the church. And he's looking at the church, and he's saying, he's saying, y'all be strong in the Lord. And when we understand this, I think we can apply it better, that this command is, isn't given to you. This command is given to us as the church. In a sense, Paul is like a quarterback, 
right? And y'all, I don't know. There's a couple of football illustrations here. I am not a football guy, but for some reason, football was on my mind when I was putting this sermon together. So bear with me, right? And if I get anything wrong in football lingo, please tell me, right? Um, but, but it's like Paul is this quarterback, right? And, and imagine the game. It's the game of all games. It's down to the wire. It's tied, and, 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 and they've got one play left, and, and Paul is the quarterback with his team in this huddle, and he's looking at them, and he's saying, guys, listen, Listen, we, we've trained for this. We know how to do this. And they're waiting to hear the play. And, and, and Paul gives them the play. And he says, he goes, this is the play. And this is Paul looking at the church saying, okay, guys, we've trained for this. I'm almost done with this letter. Like, like this is the command. This is our play. And our play is for all of us to do this, to be strong in Jesus. That's our play. That's what, that's what our quarterback is telling us. And notice, notice Paul's uh, encouragement here. Because unlike our imaginary football team, the strength isn't in them. He's saying be strong in Jesus. Their strength isn't in their experience. Their strength isn't in their training. Their strength isn't in their knowledge. He's looking at the church and saying be strong in Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so church, our strength as a church, right? Our, our strength as followers of Jesus is only found in one place. In the person of Jesus. That is where our strengths are found. That is where our hopes come from, is our strength in Jesus. And hear me on this. The way you are created matters. Like the Holy Spirit has, has given each of you spiritual gifts for the, for, the, for the good of the church and for the good of the city. And I'm going to tell you right now, like we need your spiritual gifts here. This is how we work together. And that's what I love about that huddle illustration is that each person in that huddle has their specific task and their specific job, but they are a team working together. And each of you have a specific calling and a specific task and a specific design from God that this church needs. And, and I'm going to tell you, like, I'm serious. We need that as, as, as we move into opening up more and we move into more ministries opening up. We need you to step back in and, and volunteer. Like, as a shameless plug, like, we need you and we need your spiritual gifts. We need you to be all that God has created you to be. We need you to be equipped and we need you to be trained and we need you to, to equip and train others, right? Fellowship kids need small group leaders for them to be able to open up. They just do. Like, we have to have so many adults to so many kids in the room or we can't have that many kids in the room. That's just the way it is. And we need you to volunteer. Andrew in, in, in FSM, he needs small group leaders. We've got high school students that we want to disciple, right, with mature believers. And we need you to, to step into that. Amy's got, got safety needs and volunteer needs to help make Sunday morning happen. Like, like we need you. Our worship team, and, and it, like we need people. If you enjoy worship and enjoy leading worship, we, we need you to use those gifts. But we also need to be clear on this, on this important issue. The church needs you, but the church needs Jesus more. Right? That is where our strength is. That is Paul's command. He is our quarterback. Jesus is. And we are in his huddle. Right? Now Paul is going to show us why we need to be strong in Jesus. Look at verse 11. 
Verse 11 says this, and put on the whole armor of God. So why do we need to be strong in Jesus? Because we are in a battle. That's what this word armor, armor is only used if you are getting ready to fight. You don't put on armor to make breakfast, right? You put on an apron to make, to make food. You put on armor to fight. Now remember in high school, right, or, or, or college, I don't know if they have these in college. Y'all remember pep rallies, right? You've been to a pep rally for whatever sport and whenever you went. Now, I know for some of us, it might have been a minute, right, since you were at a pep rally, but, but we've been. And if you remember a pep rally, the players come out, right? And that's why it's called a pep rally. It's this rah-rah session, and the players come out. And if they did pep rallies for you like they did them for me, the players weren't wearing their gear. Right? They may have had their jerseys on, but they didn't have the pads on. Why? Because it wasn't game time. Game time was Friday night. The pep rally was Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon or Thursday night. It was, it was the pep rally. You see, in a pep rally, the players aren't there to fight. The fight comes later. But here's what Paul's doing. Paul wants the church to know. Paul wants us to know that, y'all, this is Friday night. Right? This isn't a pep rally. Church isn't about coming here and, and doing a pep rally for Jesus. This is our huddle. Because we are in a war. And we are in a battle. You see, the church gathering together isn't, isn't a pep rally. It's, it, it's a huddle. Now, here's the deal. When I, when I talk about a pep rally, when I, when, when I talk about that, when you pictured that in your head... Right? Did anybody picture a pep rally in your head or was it just me? Okay, where were you when you pictured a pep rally? Were you in the stands or were you on the team? Right? Because here's what Paul's point is. Be strong in the, in the Lord Jesus and in his might and put on the full armor of God. Paul's point is in the church, guess what? There are no stands. You are in the team. And at the pep rally, you're in the team. You're not, you're, not the one, you're not the one in the stands. Like, scriptures even talk about that. We have heavenly witnesses that are our stands, right? We have the angels that watch this unfolding mystery of the church. They're in the stands. We are the team. We are the ones that are, that are in the fight. And so, church, according to Paul, there are no stands. We are the team. Now, whether you're old or whether you're young or whether you're single or whether you're married, whether you've got kids or no kids, whether you're struggling in your faith or whether you're soaring in your faith, you are on the team. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are on the team. Now, why does our team need to have the armor of God on? Why does our team need to have our strength in Jesus? Look at the rest of verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Right? And so what Paul does here is he shows us, he tells us who our enemy is. And it is the devil and he has got plans. Right? He has been doing this for a long time. And what I've learned about Satan is his plans, although he's called crafty in some areas, he is not very creative. He has learned the tools that work against the church. And it is fear is one of his greatest weapons. And when we go through Ezra and Nehemiah, you are going to see that fear is this ancient word in Hebrew. But it has a connection to another ancient word in Hebrew called prayer. 
And that prayer is the weapon against fear. You see, we have an enemy and he has got plans. And Jesus said that the devil's plans have something in common. That the devil's plans steal, kill, and destroy. That's what they have in common. But Paul wants us to be clear that if this is our enemy, who is not our enemy? Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What Paul is saying here, church, is critical for us to understand. That if Satan is our enemy, then let's be clear on who our enemy is not. Our enemy is not anything or anyone with flesh and blood. Now that is a game changer for us as a church. For Paul to say your enemy is not someone with flesh and blood when your enemy seems like it's against a person or it's against a people or, or, you know, Paul is very clear. And this is what Paul is very clear on, that we have no human enemies. Let that sink in. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is against Satan and his schemes and his plans. Here's what this means. It means if the government opposes the church, which, by the way, in, in, in some places in the world it does, and the church thrives and expands because we're not limited by the government. But when the church, when the, when the government opposes the church, it means this, that the government isn't our enemy. Now, here's why this is important. Paul is in prison because guess what? The government told him he couldn't talk about Jesus. The government told him he couldn't tell others about Jesus. And so he's in jail, and yet he's the one that says, even though the government has put me in jail, they're not my enemy. They're the, the person that, that said yes, the person that holds me in jail, they're, they're not my enemy. You see, Paul was in this Roman jail because of the proclamation of Jesus, and yet he is clear, the people of that government imprison him, that they're not his enemy. Now, let's bring this a little bit more personal, because this is really fun, y'all. Right? It's really fun to, to think about the people that we think are our enemies and to change that. And so, so what that means is that the person you disagree with, guess what? They're not your enemy. The political person that you think has ruined the country or you think is going to ruin the country, guess what? That person's not your enemy. The kids who bullied you, they are not your enemy. That mean girl, those mean girls, they are not your enemy. The friend who hurt you and then left, they are not your enemy. Your spouse, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or swing elbows, but your spouse ever feel like your enemy from time to time? They're not your enemy. How about this? Your ex-spouse, your ex-boyfriend, your ex-girlfriend, they are not your enemy. That rebellious child, they are not your enemy. Now let me, let me ask you, did any of those hit close to home? If so, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture that person. 
So just close our eyes, and I want you to picture that person. And I want you to declare over them. And you can say it out loud if you want, or you can say it in your head. I think there's power when you say stuff out loud. But I want you to think about that person. I want you to declare over them, you are not my enemy. Because let's see who our enemy is. And let's put our battle in the proper place. Verse, the rest of verse 12 says this. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So who is your enemy? Satan and his schemes are the enemy. Satan and his plans are the enemy. Do humans participate in those schemes? Do humans participate in those plans? Of course they do. And don't point fingers, because you know that thing, when you point one finger, how many do you have pointing back? Three. Jesus said, don't talk about the, the, the splinter in their eye. Deal with the log in your own. Like before you worry about them being uh, followers of Satan's plans and his enemies, like look inside and see where you have done the same thing and, and, and humbly approach that. Because, because, yes, people participate with Satan and his schemes. But here's the deal that Paul will want us to know here in a minute. Is that they're doing that because they're following the wrong commander. That's why. They're following the wrong quarterback. And so our prayers for them are to hear the right quarterback. To hear the right commander. And so, so, so what is our task then? Like if we are to stand firm and we have this army of God and, and we, we have this armor of God and we're part of this army of God and we know who our enemy is and we know that he has schemes. What is our plan? What is Paul going to tell us to do? Is he going to, he's going to tell us to attack, right? He's going to tell us to, to move forward. He's going to tell us to take everything we are and fight, right? Well, what if, what if the command from our commander is different than that? Because look at verse 13. This is the part that drives me crazy. Because verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, which Paul's going to talk about in a minute, that you may be able to withstand the evil, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to what? What are those last couple of words? To stand firm. You know what that means? That means be still. Like, doesn't that seem like the most ridiculous thing, right? When the world around us seems like it's falling apart, Paul's saying, be strong in Jesus, be still, be still, be still. And so our command, it's to armor up, but we don't armor up to fight, at least not in the way we think. You see, that's what Paul is doing here. He's changing our thinking about what fighting is. You see, we armor up to stand firm. We armor up to stand still. We armor up to get this, to be in position. Right? When you think about an army and you think about a commander, there is this time where everyone is in position and we are waiting. That's what Paul is saying. You stand firm. Now Paul will tell us 
what we're to what that looks like here in just a bit. But first, he wants to give us a little a little a little side note about hey, by the way, let me tell you what your armor is made up of. Let me tell you what what it means to stand firm. And he's going to take this idea of of armor. And I wish I had more time to to go through it because there's some really cool stuff here. But 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 remember, like this is Paul talking to the whole church, and so it's not it's not you do this. It's us. We do this together. We stand firm together. Like like if you're like me like to stand firm man that sounds like okay that that's me that's individual no it's us it's us as a church we stand firm and 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 look at what this armor is in verse 14 stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, now in all these words, these, these qualities are, are, are pictured as, as armor, right? And, and I know it's, it's real fun and, and, and engaging to think about that armor. And if you're here and you're drawing stuff, like draw this out and draw the armor and, and point to what these different things are. I think that's, that's a great way to remember this. But if you do, you know, be sure and put these qualities here because that's Paul's focus. Paul's focus isn't the armor pieces. It's what the armor pieces represent. And they represent this. They represent truth. Right? They represent righteousness and peace and faith and salvation. They represent the word of God. And why do we need all these? Why do we need truth? We need truth because when we see our, another human as our enemy, here's what we try and do. We try and manipulate and control people. Right? And, and I don't know if you know much about manipulation and control, but if you do, you can't use the truth to do that. You have to use lies. You have to use half-truths. You have to use uh, a distorted version of truth to do that if you want to manipulate and control, if you want to instill fear. And that's why Paul is saying, with Jesus, you speak the truth. Why do we need righteousness? Because in our effort to be right, we can forget wisdom and love, right? Which is at the heart of righteousness, right? Righteousness has this action to it. You see, there's, there's action instead of condemnation. Why do we need peace? Because here's, here, here's what I love about Jesus. We can be a whole lot like Peter, right? And we're going to see this week that, that, that Peter thought the way to help Jesus was to take a sword and cut some guy's ear off. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not that. And he fixed the ear, put it back, everything's good. Right? But we can be like Peter and think that a sword fixes our problem where Jesus says peace. Peace is how we walk. That's another thing I love about Jesus. The, the people that Jesus pulled, this is a complete side note. The, the, the people that Jesus pulled together as part of his disciples, you had Peter uh, who would be like a, a, a gun-carrying like guy today, like the guy you see at the store like with the holster-exposed guy. Like that's Peter, right? And then you had John, who's this, this freewheeling artist, right? 
And they were together and they were best friends. And that's what Jesus does. He takes people that are very different and brings them together. And they may disagree about a whole lot of stuff, but they agree on Jesus. And they agree that they love each other. And that's enough. And that's the people that Jesus, that's the people that Paul is talking to about Jesus. This church made up of of slaves and masters. Right, this, this church made up of adults and kids and, and, and multiple different races and ethnicities. And he's telling them the same thing. Y'all, our strength is found in Jesus. And this is what Jesus does. We need faith. right? Because in our efforts to stand firm and our efforts to be still, we can forget that that's actually a position of strength. And it takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that your prayers work when it seems like they're not. It takes faith to believe that God is at work when it seems like he's not. We need faith. And why do we need salvation? Because listen, like I said, the people that we want to call our enemies, they're they're following the wrong commander. Right? Or maybe we're following the wrong commander in that moment. And we need to remember that our strength is in Jesus. And, and, and for those who we know don't know Jesus, we can point them to Jesus. That salvation is this great weapon. It's this great tool that we have where we can point people to Jesus and to who he is. And then why do we need the word of God? Because y'all, listen, life is not about what we read on social media. Right? Life is not about what we hear on the news. Life is found in the words of God in, our, in this book. That's why we need the word of God. You see, this is our armor. And why do we need this armor? What does is, what is this standing firm look like? Well, he says very clearly in verse 18, once you put all this armor on, like as a church as we do this, once as a church we show that, that, that we have this, this truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and, and, and we teach the word of God, we speak the word of God together, we pray the word of God together. Once, once all of that is going on, what's next? Well, Paul, Paul tells us, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And supplication is this word that just means to pray for people. Right? It means to ask God on behalf of, of others. You see, this is why we're standing still, because standing still is this position of prayer. And y'all, this... This is our powerful weapon. It is our most powerful weapon. And what what I love about God's economy is our most powerful weapon does at times seem like the absolutely most ineffective weapon that we've got, doesn't it? To just pray. But this is how we as a church show our strength is in the Lord. This is how we show that our strength is in Jesus, is that we pray. We pray as a church. We pray as individuals. We pray and we stand firm together. But what I love about Paul is this isn't just theory. Because look at what he does next. It's one of some of my favorite verses from Paul. Because he gets, he gets personal here. He says in verse 19, and also for me. So he's talking about prayer. And he goes, and also for me. So pray for me. That, that, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth 
boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so what Paul asked for is he asked for, for the church in Ephesus to pray for him because he's in prison. And, and in prison means that the majority of people he sees are Roman prisoners who don't know Jesus, but they know Paul. And Paul's saying, hey, pray for me that I can tell them, to Jesus, tell them about Jesus. Pray for me that I can, I can point them to our Savior. You see, what I love about Paul is this fight that he's talking about, this warfare and this weapon, it's not just theory for Paul. It's not just an idea. It's something that's practical. And he asked this church to, to, to pray for him, right? Because it's Friday night, it's game time. And his prayer is to boldly proclaim the gospel. He wants those around him to, to know and trust Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that, that if, if you're watching this or listening to this, or if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus and you haven't put him in the center of your life and you haven't said yes to him, then let today be the day that you do that. Let today be the day that you stand firm in his offer of salvation. Let today be the day that you experience this good and right and and personal relationship with the God who's always loved you and the God who created you. And that you do that through Jesus. Let him take the weight of your mistakes. Let him take the weight of your failures and make you new today. Say yes to him today. And, and if you're watching online, there'll be a little online prompt that if you want someone to respond to you, uh, that's how you do it. You click that. If you're here in person, come talk to me after the service about saying yes to Jesus. And I would love to, 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 to walk you through that and to, and to help you in any way that I can with that. Now, for most of us, we have done that, right? For most of us, we have said yes to Jesus. And those who have said yes to Jesus... Let's answer this question. Where do you need prayer? Where do I need prayer? Like, let's apply this the way that Paul is applying it. Can I, can I share y'all with y'all how to pray for me? Like, here, here's, where, here's where I am. I, I don't, you know, leading a church in a new historical event for the world through a pandemic has not been the easiest thing. Uh, oddly enough, I missed that class in seminary about how to lead a class through a pandemic, I mean, how to lead a, a church through a pandemic. But I tell you, it's been incredibly good in many ways. It's been kind of this James 4 way of leadership, which has always been in the Bible, but I guess I've never really believed it. Because James 4 talks about, don't talk about what you're going to do tomorrow. Say, if the Lord wills, you'll do this tomorrow. Because it used to be before the pandemic, we could make plans 12 months out. Y'all, I had my preaching schedule planned 12 months in advance. I feel really great that we know what's happened in the next two weeks now. And that still may fall apart, right? And that's, are y'all feeling that in your life too, that where you used to be able to make plans, now you can't? And I really do have to wait for the Lord's leading. And sometimes he has been so gracious and given me uh, plans beforehand. But God is, is, is wonderfully uh, on time and never late, right? And I'm waiting for him uh, to, to be on time for something in particular that I would love for y'all to pray about. It's groups, right? We, we love everyone having a group of people. I think that is the, a great expression of the church is when you can gather together in small groups. 
right? And our small group season ends here right around Easter. And typically, I've already, we've already been announcing what's going to happen in the spring and summer with groups and all this stuff. But I've got to be honest with y'all. Right now, like, I have no clue. I don't know what we're going to do. And as your leader, like, that's very hard to stand up and say. But here's what I know. Jesus knows. And it's been in his plan for all eternity. And I need to be able to clearly hear him. And so would y'all pray that I can clearly hear him? Would y'all pray for leaders to stand up? Would y'all pray for us to, to be a church where everybody can have a group who wants one? That's, that's how you can pray for me. Because in those groups, prayer happens. In those groups, uh, we, we learn about the gospel. We learn about Jesus. In those groups, we care for one another. In those groups, we get to be like these little churches together, and they're beautiful. And I want everybody to, to, to experience that. Now, the question for you is this. What about you? Where do you need prayer? Because that, that's me. What about you? Well, hopefully, you're not praying right now that you left your windows down. Anybody thinking that right now? Like, did you? Oh, gosh. Too late now. It's pouring down rain. You'll find out here in just a few minutes. Besides that, right, where else do you need prayer? Like, how can we pray for you? If, if you want someone to pray for you right now, we have a prayer team. Like, if you're watching online, they'd be glad to do that. If, if you're watching virtually, if you're here in person, we can pray for you after the service. Myself or, or one of our elders are here or our staff. You know, Andrew's on staff. Uh, Josh Montgomery is an elder. He's here. Matt King is somewhere back there. He's back there. Jared's right there. Or just turn to the person next to you and say, will you pray for me? we got Trish Lancaster, who's one of our deacons over congregational care. She, she would be delighted to pray for I'm hoping. Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Right? Like, if you want prayer, we can, we can do that. If you want to send us an email, you can send it to prayer at fellowshipashville.com, and it'll go, to the, it'll go to the prayer team, and they will pray for you faithfully during the week. Our team would be honored to pray for you. But until then, here's what I do. I leave you with this, with Paul's final comments. Because he ends this book, uh, he ends this letter on, on a phrase that has just kept in my mind. He says this, So that you may also know how I am, and what I'm doing, uh, Tychius, I think is how you say that, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, in love with all faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be uh, with you all, who love the Lord Jesus with a love incorruptible. That our Jesus loves us, with a love incorruptible, which means it doesn't fade, it doesn't waver, it is always pure, and it, it is always full, and it is always there. Peace, love, and grace with a love incorruptible found in Jesus. And so, y'all, we fight our one enemy with prayer. And so let's do that. Let's do this together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um... We, we, we gather here as a church, Father, to, to worship you, to, to learn from you, to, 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 to show our love for you and to experience and to know your love for us. And I pray for us today, Jesus, that, that we will be a church 
who when, when the world seems chaotic, we stand still. When the world seems to have lost its mind because it is listening to the wrong commander, we will be uh, those, those lighthouses. We will be those beacons of hope that are there in the storm, shining the light of Jesus to the world. And in that light, may, they, may people see love and may they see grace and may they see peace and may they see the incorruptible love of Jesus. In Christ's name I pray, amen.